Oh, amen. How many of you enjoyed that worship? So we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. We're, each Sunday we've been going through First Peter, but for Father's Day I had a special message for our dads as well as for everyone present. You're probably wondering why the potter's wheel is on the stage. And how many of you guys did not get Play-Doh? All the men, raise your hand. Okay. Any men not get Play-Doh? This is going to be part of it. Okay, we see a guy in the back. Just keep your hand up. This is for the men. If we have any leftover, we can give them to the ladies too. But, um, you know, a lot of times with men, we're very hands-on and we like to you know, shape and mold things with their hands. And how many of you men are ADD? Any ADD guys in here? Honest, okay. So this will help you, especially if you're ADD. So anyone else need it, men? Okay, we've got one up front. I think we have some leftover Play-Doh. Would any ladies like a Play-Doh? All right. So um, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter number 18. And um, you guys can go ahead and turn there, but... Before we begin, I want to honor our fathers, and I wanted to read to you a poem that I came across. I thought that was really good. To any daddy, there are little eyes upon you, and they're watching you night and day. There are little ears that quietly take every word you say. There are little hands eager to do everything you do, and a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll become like you. You're the little fellow's hero. You're the wisest of wise. In his little mind, you, there are no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devotedly, holds that all you say and do. He will say and do in your ways when he's grown up to be like you. Some of the moms are already crying right now. <laughs> There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right, and his ears are always open, and he watches day and night. You're setting an example every day in all you do, for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. That's by Croft Pence. I thought that was really precious. So before we jump into the text, I have a few um, recollections of my dad, who's actually traveling back from Florida. And many people are traveling on Father's Day vacation, so I'm going to have to get him to listen to this. But um, my dad, four, four snapshots of him. And my brother Michael's in the back, so um, he'll be able to share this as well. But first thing is my dad is a big dreamer. So he taught our family how to have an imagination, creativity, dream. From the time I was very little, I still remember going down in a family station wagon down to Orlando and him wanting to go to Disney and going to the beach. And you can imagine six kids packed into a station wagon. That was, that was amazing. Uh, the second thing is my dad's the hard worker. Like many of you, he had to get up at crazy hours of the morning from 3 to 4 in the morning, be at work around 5 or 6 and work all day for his family. And whenever he came home, he was dead tired. And because he had six kids, he often had to work overtime and do jobs on the side so my mother could be at home with the kids. And because of the sacrifice, we had a lot of good family time. So we have the big dreamer, the hard worker. We have the devoted husband. My, my dad and my mother celebrated um, over 50 years of marriage and uh, 51 this past few weeks ago. And he's been faithful to her through the whole marriage. And all of her siblings can, and this is, this is not what many families get to experience, but my dad, um, I've never heard him say a curse word, 
Never see him drink, never see him do anything that we would question all our lives. He's, he's been faithful to, to uh, mom and the family. And then the final thing that really impacts me the most is he's been a faithful follower. My dad um, has been involved in ministry all of his life. And for a greater portion, he was a Sunday school superintendent, kind of like what Tom Beck does for Arden First. And he, uh, he loves the Lord, so that's snapshots of him. Now, the other guy I wanted to give a shout-out to is my father-in-law in the front row. I haven't known him as long, but um, it's been seven years now, eight years, including the dating. So I want to give you four snapshots on him, and he had no idea I was going to say any of these things. But, um, and as I, as I talk about my, the two influential men in my life, I want you to think about your father. But John, he's the adventurous pioneer. Throughout his whole life, he's been a trailblazer. And from each of the, the, the influences in my life, uh, you'll see some of these things have rubbed off on me. The second thing is that he's an amazing friend. When you're a friend of John Talmadge, uh, you want to be friends for life because he's there, he's loving, he's caring. Number three, he's a generous giver. He's taught me more about generosity than anyone I know. And I've learned the principle of anything good, if you got it, God gave it, and you cannot give God. And the fourth thing is, is he's a gracious helper. John, through his life, has experienced a few different health issues, and he's overcome them all. And he's been able to help many people overcome health issues and help them to get their bodies back to health. So to my dad and to John, I want to say happy Father's Day and to all the dads here. Amen. Let's give all the dads a hand. So, I need, for since it is Father's Day, we're going to do things a little bit differently than we normally do. It. So, I need three volunteers for um, something I'm going to tell you about. And so you can't know what it's about, but um, three volunteers. Aaron, all right. Where's Tom Beck at? Tom's got to come in. George, why don't you come on up? Where's George at? <laughs> I didn't see any hands, so I... Uh, so... Um, you can bring your Play-Doh where I got some. So um, I'm going to have you guys sit in these red seats here. And uh, Aaron, you can stand because you're just naturally good at what I'm about to do. So if all the guys will get their Play-Doh out. And I'm gonna, while I give the introduction of the message, this is a little background of uh, Jeremiah 18, the potter's house. You guys need to know a little bit about uh, pottery. So you guys can have a seat and, or if you want to stand either way. So all the gentlemen, go and get your, your Play-Doh out. So for those of you who are, have been inactive growing up in church and fidgety, this is your permission to now work with your hands while also listening. So what, what the contest is, and by the way, I do have some gift prizes for these two guys, and they get to pick what they want. I have a Chick-fil-A gift card. I have a uh, family movies gift certificate, and also this is for... Um, it may be for first place, whatever they pick. Our new bumper sticker is Arden First. So this will be, we'll have about five minutes. So everyone in the audience participate as well. And when we're done, my introduction, you guys are going to show up whatever you made. And if any ladies want to participate, you can. We have Play-Doh left over. So um, the, only, the only challenge is Aaron is really good at this. Okay, so we'll see. So anyways, while, while you guys are working with your hands, if you'll pay a little attention... Today we're going to talk about the mystery of how God works in our lives. He is the potter and we are the... And it's almost mysterious how the artist fashions and forms our lives. 
And you guys may not realize it, but your entire life, there's been a loving father that has desired to shape and mold you. Now, some of us have remained in his hands and allowed him to do so, and some of us have ran away. And we've been shaped by other influences other than the potter. But what we're going to talk about today is all of us are clay. And depending on whose hands you allow to shape you determines the outcome of your life. And only the Heavenly Father knows the perfect shape and mold that He wants you to have. The world, it will shape you, but you will not like the outcome. So I want to give you a few facts about making pottery. And if you guys want to jot these notes down, especially the ladies who don't have Play-Doh, these are just a few facts because I didn't know a lot about pottery like some of you may not have known some of these details, but... There's about ten stages in pottery. Did you guys realize it was that intensive? The first one is choosing the clay. The potter is in search of clay. And in biblical times, the potter would often have to go out in search of clay. In today's culture, you can just go to an art supply store and buy clay. But in biblical times, the potter had to search for the clay. You guys getting a little spiritual significance? God searching for us. Number two is wedging and kneading the clay. The potter begins to shape the clay with his hands. The potter thins out the clay to get the air out. What I didn't realize is clay often has air, sometimes hot air in it. And if that hot air is in the oven, it's not good for the clay when you go through trials. And a lot of what I'm talking about clay, you'll, you'll find spiritual significance in it. The third step is throwing the clay. You have to slam the clay on the wheel to get it to stick to the wheel. By show of hands, has anyone ever thrown clay before, done pottery? Okay, a few of you artsy people out there have, so you remember this. The fourth step is the hardest step. It's centering the clay. Whenever you slam the clay, you have to center it correctly. Otherwise, what happens? It gets off center. It doesn't develop right. And potters actually spend more time on centering the clay often than they do shaping the clay. I didn't realize that. Number five is making the heart. The middle part of the pot is called the heart. And the size of the heart determines the capacity of the vessel. The larger the heart, the more the vessel can hold. The smaller the heart, the less the vessel can hold. you got to see some significance in that. The larger the heart. Number six is forming and shaping the clay. The potter begins to mold the pot around the vision he has in mind. Remember, the potter has vision for the clay. Not for what the clay is... But what for the clay can be? All right, you guys better speed up. <laughs> it's whatever you have a vision for. Tom asked, what are we supposed to be making? It's whatever you have a vision for. So, how, how's everyone in the audience doing so far? Are you guys almost there? This is fast pottery, okay? Number seven, trimming and cutting the way. As the potter begins to mold the clay, the potter notices there's unnecessary or excess clay that has to be cut away in order for the pottery to take proper shape. And in our lives, we call that trials. We call that tribulations, cutting away the unnecessary part. And number eight, the eighth step in pottery is decorating or firing the clay for the first time. According to my studies, the potter heats up the oven or the kiln up to 1,800 degrees in order to get the impurities out. The object is not to destroy the clay, but to refine and purify the clay. And then, does anybody guess what the next step, after you get it out of the kiln or the oven, what do typical potters do? They glaze it, right? They paint something, a color, make it look like something. And this goes in with the potter's vision. 
So after the fire comes the decoration. And the last step is they refire the clay. The second time they make it even hotter, up to 2400 degrees. And this last step is to finalize the vision of the potter. Did you guys realize there was that many steps in pottery? I mean, that's probably when, when I tried to do pottery with um, um, a, a guest I'm going to introduce in a little bit. I messed it completely up. I mean, it got way off kilter. We had to keep throwing it back on the wheel to get it right. So what I want you guys to get this is that God is the potter and we're the clay. And he desires, he earnestly desires to shape and mold your life. But you have to stay in his hands. You have to allow him to do so. And some of us along the way have gone astray thinking that we know what's best, but then we get off the original design of what God wanted. And our lives no longer have the significance that God intended it for have. All right, while these guys finish up, all the guys in the audience, let's see what you guys came up with. Told you it was a quick. All right, what's that in the back? Nice. Steve, what you got? It's good to have Steve Harris with us. A, A pot, all right. A rose. Man, it looks good. All right. Is that a heart back there? Okay. A hand. That's a high five. See, we got some creative dads in here, don't we? Creative guys in here. All right. Finishing touches. Five, four, three, two, one. All right, Tom. Let me get out of the way because you've got to explain what you got here. Well, this is, uh, uh, as I sat down here and had no direction, I looked and I saw an offering plate and I thought, well, I'm going to duplicate the offering plate. Can you hold it up where they can see it? I made it. I put a little scalloped edge on it, but it looks more like a molded pancake. Are you planning on taking the offering for your Father's Day dinner after? I am. Thank you. Don't give Tom any ideas. Thank you, Tom. All right, George. I just have a cup that runneth over. My cup runneth over. All right. All right, Aaron. Just got a little bust of Christ. That's all I was doing. <laughs> He's got a figure of Christ and the crucifixion and the crown of thorns. Um, wow. You guys mind putting your creations um, along the bench here as you walk down? And wait a second before you go. We don't have time to do an official judge, but I think Aaron, when you say he got first place. All right, so Aaron, you pick what you want. All right, so second place, second and third, Tom, George, you guys pick. You like Chick-fil-A or movies? Chick-fil-A, all right, Tom, you're taking your wife. You can have the movies. Let's give these guys a hand. All right, now you can put the Play-Doh away. (laughs) Got all the ADD out, energy out. So today, um, we're going to go inside the potter's house. In Jeremiah 18, the Lord calls Jeremiah to the potter's house. And I don't want you to picture a big house. I want you to picture a small house in the arts district. And I want you to picture a potter there. And as God tells Jeremiah a message, he's going to speak to you and I a message individually. And I think the message is going to be something like this. I am the potter. You are the clay. What will you allow me to shape and mold you today? So in order to get this message across, we actually have a live potter all the way from almost Silva, but Haywood County. Let's give Miss Cheryl Thompson a big hand. And she is going to mold while we talk about, but this is one of her pieces of art 
very great potter. And if any of you guys need some pottery, you can talk to her after service. She's got a whole collection. And uh, my family and I love using her for unique gifts for give gifts for her family because they're one of a kind. So you guys ready to jump into the text? Jeremiah 18. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house. Now, can you imagine you're, you're a prophet Let's say you're a religious spiritual leader. You're probably not spending a lot of your time hanging out in the arts district, right? So God is telling Jeremiah, I want you to go down to the potter's house. And I'm just thinking Jeremiah's probably thinking, Lord, I don't hang out in the arts district, right? I hang out in the, the synagogue. I hang out, um, you know, spiritual places. I hang out in the marketplace. But the arts district, why would I go to the arts district? And here's what the Lord said to Jeremiah. He says, go down to the potter's house. And I, there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the will. So you can visualize Jeremiah. He walks up to the potter, and the potter is spinning at the will. And the whole time, the Lord is beginning to speak to Jeremiah a message. And here's the message the Lord is giving. Look at verse 4. And the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hands of the potter. It was marred, meaning it was messed up. It did not have its original function or form. So what did the potter do? Did he throw the clay away? No, the potter, he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to make. And here you have a picture of salvation that the original design was good, but because of sin we're fallen and we need forgiveness. But whenever someone comes to Christ, he makes us into a new creation, a new vessel. Amen? Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, we could put her name in there, O Arden First Baptist Church, can I not do with you as the potter, says the Lord. Look, as the clay is in the, the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Then he gives a warning here. He says, the instant I speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull it down and destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster that I have thought to bring upon it. And we see that in Nineveh when God was just going to destroy the nation because of sin and they repented and what happened? God relented. But look at the next two verses. It says, and I think this should be a warning to America. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plan it, in other words, like God's, I'm blessing this nation, I'm blessing this people, if it does evil in my sight, so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Let's pray over God's word. Father, you are the potter, we are the clay. I ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts as we look at your word today, and that, God, we would see ourselves in the potter's house. And, God, as Miss Cheryl spins on her will, I pray that you would open our hearts to see that you are the potter, we are the clay. I pray that you would make something of our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to give you four basic snapshots from the potter's house. The first one is this. When I went down to the potter's house, here's what I saw. I saw an unpromising problem. What was the problem? It says that the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. Now, if you look at that word marred, 
It literally means messed up. It, it wasn't any good. And the thing about marred pottery, marred clay, is is not good for a whole lot. And it, it the the intended purpose of the potter, it's hard to achieve it if the clay is marred. Have you guys ever been in a stage of your life where you felt like you were messed up? Something was just off. Um, maybe it was a health situation. Maybe your marriage was falling apart. You just felt like something was marred. It wasn't the way God intended. I can remember back when I was 18, I was really struggling. And God had called me into the ministry. And I was coming out of a, of a great school, but there was some legalism involved to where I had to really say, God, this I know this can't be you because this is really messing with my mind. And it, it got to the point where I felt like I couldn't do anything good. Everything I did just wasn't good enough. And, and it just was like condemnation and guilt. You guys ever felt that before in a church? So I remember going down. There was this little prayer chapel at uh, Fruitland Bible College in Hendersonville. And I remember writing in the prayer book and saying, God, unless you healed my, heal my mind, because I feel like I'm, something's just off here. I can't do ministry. I, I know I'm called. I know that you, you've asked me to do it, but I can unless you heal me. And that moment on, God began to fix the marred clay. And he began to help and renew and set me free from the things that were holding me down. And many of you have similar stories. We look back in your life and you're like, God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you allow this, this person to do this to my life? God, why? And because we live in a fallen world, it's easy for our lives to get marred. But there's good news. God is there to help us. He's there to heal us, and he's there to renew us. So you see the potter's house. The, the Hebrew word for potter in the scripture is the, the Hebrew word yatsar, and it means to fashion, to form. It's the same word used in Genesis 2-7 when God kneels in the dust and he grabs a piece of clay and he breathes in it. And the thing about it is the same potter that took that clay, that dirt, and breathed in it to the, the breath of life, he can do the same for you. There's good news for marred clay. God doesn't throw it away, man. And as I was reading about this, I saw something that I've never seen before. Did you realize that the potter's wheel, you know, you see it spinning round and round. Did you realize the earth is similar to the potter's wheel? Anybody remember how fast the earth spins? You guys, I'll have to give you a special prize if anyone knows this. Any science majors know? It's a, around 1,040 miles per hour the earth spins. So I began to think about, it. okay, the potter's wheel is spinning round and round, and the Bible says we're like clay. And the earth is spinning round and round over 1,000 miles an hour, but we're not hurled off of it. What keeps us on the world? Gravity. When we are on the potter's wheel, what keeps us solid in a Christian faith? Being centered on who? Centered on Christ. And as I was thinking about that, I got the illustration. Like, okay, God is the potter, we're the clay. It's like the old spiritual song. He's got the whole world. I'm glad you sung because you sing better than I do. He's got the whole world in his hands. And because he's loving and he's with us, it keeps us from spinning out of control. But there was the clay's problem. The clay that possessed so much potential at first, the Bible says it was marred. And the Hebrew word, it means to destroy, corrupt, to ruin, or to decay. So, if you've ever felt like something was off in your life, 
that's, that's the human race. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and we've fallen short of God's glory. But the good news is the gift of God through Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. Amen. So, uh, my, my family will laugh at this story because uh, this story still haunts me to this day. When I was uh, working my way, getting ready to go to seminary, um, I was the typical poor, struggling seminary student and uh, could barely get enough to buy a fast food meal. That's how bad it was. So I started, uh, I was working at the mall, and I had a, a mall job. Anybody ever worked a mall job before? It's not too glamorous, is it? <laughs> mall hours and, uh, yeah. And so, anyways, I was working at Banana Republic, and I saw this jacket that I really wanted. And, and guys, it was one of those jackets, you're like, if I get this jacket, I may get a date Friday night. You know, it was one of those really nice jackets. I mean, I just, maybe. This is before I met Lori, obviously. So anyways, the, the problem with the jacket, it was $450. And I'm like, this is Italian leather, peanut butter brown. I mean, it was just one of those, like, I wear this jacket, I may get a date Friday night. So um, I waited, I waited. The jacket got sold out. All of a sudden, they had a second edition come in, and it didn't sell. So the, the price got marked half price. And I'm like, okay, it's 250 I still can't afford it. So I had a friend say, hey, I know you really want the jacket. I'll help you buy it. So it was another college friend that paid half. So I bought the jacket, and uh, I finally did get a date wearing the jacket. Uh, maybe it wasn't the jacket. but uh, So I was wearing the jacket, and I had come back from seminary, and I had this, this nice brown, peanut butter brown Italian leather jacket, thinking it was really nice. And all of a sudden, my little niece um, at the time... She was, what was she, Michael, five or six? My little niece, Carissa, she's not here, so I can't pick on her. She's about maybe eight. And she had just been eating at Chick-fil-A. So you guys know where this is going. She had those nuggets grease all over her hands. And she said, Uncle Timothy. She ran up, and she touched the peanut butter brown Italian leather jacket. And it left a Chick-fil-A nugget grease stain on the jacket. And... I mean, you could just imagine, I'm just like, oh my goodness, if you knew what I, I took to get this jacket. And so I went back to seminary, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get over it, I'm not going to, she's only eight, she didn't know she had Chick-fil-A grease all over her hands, she didn't realize you don't put grease on Italian leather, she didn't realize all that, so I went back to seminary, and all of a sudden I took it to a dry cleaner, I happened to go to a cheaper one because I was a poor seminary, I couldn't afford the nice dry cleaner, it was like the 450 garment or something like that. Bad mistake. When I went to pick, pick it up, it had spots all over the jacket. So the little grease turned into, it was like completely ruined. And I was like, okay, I went to get this clean, not destroyed. What's going on? And they said, well, sir, we're so sorry. We didn't realize this, but this particular jacket had glue sticks throughout to hold the jacket in place. And whenever it went under heat, all the glue exploded and your jacket is now ruined. So, um, anyways, that jacket, I had to say goodbye to it. So, that became symbolic of my life, of sometimes a good thing turns into a thing that just doesn't work anymore. And it was also very humbling. Maybe I was a little too snug in that peanut butter brown Italian leather. I thought about seeing if I could buy it again, but I decided not to. It would probably get ruined again. So, the clay's problem was it was marred. It wasn't its original intention. But for unpromising problem, number two, we have something that's really beautiful we see from this text. 
we have an unbelievable plan. I discovered that the potter doesn't throw the clay away. Why? Because he has a better plan. Look at the scripture in verse 4. It says, so he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good for the potter to make. The good thing about clay, and a little backstory, I went to Miss Cheryl's house, took my whole family. We went to throw pottery in preparation for uh, preparing this message. And the clay I kept on doing kept on getting messed up, and I felt very embarrassed. It was my first time doing it. Maybe as a kid I did it, but Miss Cheryl said, you just put a little water, throw it back, and you can, you can do it. So I kept on, and finally... I made something. I wish I had a picture for you today. I made something that it didn't look like this, but it was the best of what I could do. And that's the amazing thing about God. When your life seems like it's going out of control, um, God can turn things around. And He has amazing plans for your life. So there may be someone today that says, Timothy, you know, I've gone off the deep end. I've been the prodigal son. I would say, welcome home. Come back because it's not too late. All you need to do is get back in the potter's hands. Some of you have been in church all your life and said, Timothy, I haven't reached God's potential, God's plan. Well, there's something about the pottery that's interesting. In biblical times, pottery would often have to, the clay before it got shaped, would have to remain on the potter's shelf for a year, sometimes two to three years before it was ready to be molded. So some of you feel like you're on the shelf right now, and God understands that. But the shelf, when you're on the shelf, it's not... License to stay on the shelf. It's preparation to get ready and get back on the potter's wheel. Amen. So how many of you want some good news for the clay? Good news for marred clay. All right. I got a few things for you. First thing I've already mentioned, God doesn't throw the clay away. I'm so glad that when I've messed up or you've messed up, God forgives you when you come to him in repentance. I read, uh, it was a while back, about a year ago, I was watching News 13, and they mentioned about this, this guy who had a habit of going to Smiley's Flea Market. He was, I think he was a lawyer. And um, he found this painting that the person, I think they sold it for like 10 bucks, thought it was a you know, throwaway. And I don't remember what the total value was, but I think it was worth 100000 dollars this painting that someone else thought was garbage. And um, that's sometimes the way it is in their life. The world 